there's been a church that's encouraged me like to to an astronomical degree it's been Midtown Baptist Temple in Kansas City Missouri uh, God has done you just have no idea the things that God will do and, and I, I mean I, I believe that I can say for my kids the same thing uh, my kids like all church retreat this year I mean I, I think I speak for them from what they said to me like the mission became a whole lot more of a big deal than everything else they had going on in life um, it's just a, a lot of stuff God God used God God's used them I mean all church retreat uh, mission focus just in general their, their pastor Sam Miles Brandon I mean th these guys Kenny Morgan these guys are and I, I'm not here to build them up but they're doing it man I mean they're they're starting churches all over the world and God's using them to to send out people and, and what's crazy is they're sending out their be the best they get. They're, they're sending out as fast as they can send out, and they're just training more. And so, so God's really used them guys, and I, I just I am so grateful uh, that, that God has, has allowed him to be here today. And, and I know God's going to use him. He's, he's an extremely gifted preacher. He don't like standing up in front of people a whole lot, but, but he is definitely a gifted preacher, and I praise the Lord for it. So, bro, you come on, share your heart this morning, and, uh, and, and just preach. that right there you go. all right well it is good to be here um over the you know over the last couple of years uh getting to know lee has been really good for me and i think one of the benefits of the living faith fellowship for a lot of the pastors has been uh ma making friendships and i i'm sure lee feels this way i feel this way it's it's difficult when you're doing the ministry and you're investing in people it's difficult to build real friendships, real deep friendships that are meaningful, uh, that are built on spiritual things. And uh, Lee has been uh, a dear friend to me, and he's rapidly become one of my best, best friends. And so to be here with you this morning is a privilege to me. It means a lot. It means a lot to be here. And I'm thankful for it, and I'm thankful for you. And we pray for you. You might not know it, but we pray for you uh, regularly. And we know and believe uh, with all our hearts that God's going to use this church uh, to do mighty things in the world. And, and uh, your best days are just ahead of you. And uh, it's cool to see in the announcements. You learn a lot about a church by their, their announcements. And just watching your announcement slides, investing in your young people, um, discipleship being an emphasis, uh, those types of things. Those are all a really good sign that God is, is doing a lot here. And... Um, and man, that worship set was something else. That was powerful. Man, thank you for that. Um, it means, means a lot. But it is good to be here. And uh, we're going to talk about love today. All right? Everybody all right with that? We're going to talk about love. Um, and, you know, l uh, there's a lot of talk about love going on. People like to talk about love. Not a, lot, a, ho a whole lot of people know much about it, though. And, you know, I grew, I grew up in church. Some of you have grown up in church. A lot of talk about love in church. Uh, but uh, I have to honestly say that I don't think a lot, a lot of churches know what love is. Uh, they don't understand it. They don't understand, understand it in the biblical sense. A whole lot of, of, you know, basically broad, abstract ideas about love. Lots of handshaking, lots of hugs given on a Sunday morning. 
Lots of people saying they love each other. But, but do we mean it? Right? Do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? At least in the way that Christ means it towards us. And can we honestly say that we love each other the way that Christ loved us? And that's a big ask. That's a big deal. It's hard, it's hard to, to get there. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about um, love in the context of whether or not God is going to use this church. Because whether or not God is going to use you in the world, if, if, whether or not these pews are going to get filled with saved souls, whether or not you're going to be discipling people three, four, five years from now, whether or not you're going to send your best and brightest uh, across, uh, across Georgia and across the world is contingent on whether or not you get this love thing right. Because all the things that you're setting out to do and all the, the objectives that you have as a church, I, I want to propose the idea that none of those things are possible if you don't figure out the love thing. If you don't figure it out. You, you've got to get this down. And so let's start real quick. We'll pray here in a minute. But let's start real quick with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll start in verse 27, and we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts, because a lot of us are gifted, and we all know that God has made us real unique, and everybody in this church, they've got a different gifting set, and God wants to use you uniquely in this church here at Greater Hope. He wants to use you in a very particular way. He's outfit you to do a job, to play a role, and we ought to know that. And Paul made an emphasis that uh, here with the church in Corinth, and he, he, he emphasized these gifts he talks a lot about gifts in this book. And so let's, let's chat real quick about that. Let's start in verse 27. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. E each of you are unique and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, then he goes on to say here, after listing all these gifts, he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So let's pause here for a second, and let's just briefly cover the issue. There's some gifts here that we no longer recognize as being in function. Right? And so, so we all know, because I think Lee's a good pastor and he's teaching you, right? We all know that there are certain gifts that are listed here that were unique to the first century church in order for them to legitimize the preaching of the gospel in the known world. Okay? And so God gave the apostles and the prophets these gifts to foretell the future, to, to perform miracles, to do things that we no longer can do. And he did that with the intent that the gospel would spread and that it would spread real fast to people groups that the gospel had never come, come in, in contact with. And so we know that to be true. And I'm not going to get into those weeds this morning. You can clean up my mess later. All right? But the point that I want to make right now is that we have gifts that are in function today in the church. That there are particular gifts that you have as individuals that are intended to feed into this work. We are a gifted people. But Paul says here in verse 31, he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And so he's about to, in this next chapter, to show us a more excellent way. And part of him showing us that more excellent way 
is that he's going to teach us about love. And so the lesson for first, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is this, that we should love how God has made us. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big thing to talk about. Some of y'all don't love the way God made you. But that's, that's, a, that's a serious problem that needs to be addressed. And you deal with self-hate, and you deal with self-worth, and you see yourself as lesser than. And you have a problem with comparing yourself to other Christians, and you look at them and say they've got it better than you. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Not one bit. And you've got to remember that when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, that he bled and died for you as much as anyone else. Right? He cares for you. And when he gifted you, when he made you, when he crafted you, and he prepared you to be a part of the church, he made you extra special. And he loves you in an extra special way. And so he, he's lo- he loves you and he's made you gifted. Now here's the second lesson that we need to learn and we're going to focus on this today. Is that we should love serving each other. We should love it. And all the serving that we do and all the gifting that we have, that without love, it's useless. It's useless. There is a danger that, that if we as Christians don't learn how to submit our gifting through love towards others, that our gifts, that our gifting will be nothing more than wasted potential and hollow promises. A lot of us make a lot of promises to the church. A lot of, make, a lot of us make promises, hollow promises to Pastor Lee about what we're going to do, how our lives are going to change, and how we want to be used. We want to do the right thing. We we talk about those things, but listen to me. If we don't learn how to love the brethren, all of it is wasted. So today we're going to talk about charity. And before we do, we need to ask ourselves a question. This is the personal question that you need to ask yourself today, and it's this. Do I understand how to love people? Do I understand how to love people? Church people and lost people. Okay, this, the, the, these truths extend past the the four walls of this church. Do I understand, truly understand how to love people? And so the, the, the title of today's sermon is this. Love makes church work. It makes it work. It makes it function. All right, we're, do, we're doing a lot of work. How much work does it take to get ready on a Sunday morning? I mean, you come here early, you, get, you do your sound checks, you have your prayer meeting, you, got, you meet with the youth, you know, all the things that you do throughout the week, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that things go right. A lot of energy and time, a lot of time of study, a lot of, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and all of you should be a part of that. But at the end of the day, without love, none of it works. None of it achieves anything. None of it gets anything done. So let's pray real quick. Let's ask the Lord to be with us, and then we'll get into our primary text this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time, and thank you for this great people. And I'm, I'm so honored to be here. It's a privilege, and I'm, I'm thankful that you got us here safely, and I'm thankful that I'm here right now um, preaching your word and sharing what you've shown me. And, and I just ask, Lord, would you use me, and would you make this time profitable? Uh, Lord, would you allow your word to be fitly spoken? And would you allow this, this congregation of believers to receive exactly what they need to receive this morning in order to to live the life that you've called them to live, to live the mission, to, to, to be disciple makers, to, to reach the lost people and their family and their community, and Lord, to love each other and make sure that church happens the way that it should, the way that you asked it to work. And so be with us this morning, speak through me, in Jesus' name, amen.
So let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So let's start by talking about love, by, by addressing one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture. People love to quote it. Believers and non-believers alike love. Well, they love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They love it. They love talking about it. They love reading it, you know, and it's become a very famous passage. But there's another passage in Scripture that deals with love that people love to beat around and abuse, and it's this one. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay, so what, what is this verse actually saying? Because it, it does, this verse gets abused all the time. What is this verse actually saying, and why is it so important? Okay, so first of all, clearly it says that we should love one another. It says that we should love one another. But it also says that love originates with and is of God. That, that, that true love emanates from God himself. It originates with him. It starts with him. And so with that in mind, it's implied here in the text, and it, it says it pretty clearly. It says that true love is only possible for a person that's born again. So if, if love originates with God, then only believers, only people who are saved, only people that are born again, truly have access to real love. Everybody else is just faking it. Everyone else's love is only just a shadow. It's just a, a moral shadow of what true love actually is. And only born-again believers have access to that kind of love. Now, isn't it a shame that we abuse that, that we waste that? The born-again believers have access to what true love really is, and yet we don't even know what it means. It's a shame. Now, it also says this. It says, tells us that God is love. So not only does he emanate love, but he is love. That without God, love does not exist. Now, as much as it's important for us to say what this verse says, it's also important for us to say what this verse doesn't say. We've, what does this verse not say? Listen, God is love, but love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. Let me explain that. Too many people in our culture elevate the concept of love over God. They talk about it. They band it about like it's just, you know, like they understand it, they use it, and then they use it to usurp the authority of Christ. Let me put it this way. 
Our culture is afraid of the implications of a holy, omniscient, omnipotent creator God. They're afraid. They're afraid of his power. They're afraid of his authority. They're afraid of his word because it's explicit. So they, they tame him. They tame him. They, 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 they domesticate him. By conflating his personage of love with their personal view of love. In other words, our understanding of love must flow from an understanding of God, not the other way around. So this is what our culture does. Can I be frank this morning? So this is what people in our world do today. Well, love is this to me. Love is this relationship that I have. Forget what the Bible says about homosexuality. Forget what the Bible says about gender. Forget what the Bible says about my finances and about the way I entertain myself. Forget, forget what the Bible says about how I should approach my family. I say that love is this. And after all, isn't God just love? <laughs> That's what they do. And so what they do is they take their love, their idea, their concept of love, and they elevate it over God. And that becomes the thing that they worship. Now, I have to say, you know, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is all about Paul addressing worldly ideas creeping into the church. The whole book is about that. And so I have to say that those worldly ideas about love, they find their way in here too. And we don't even know it. It happens so subtly. Satan's so subtle that we oftentimes do the same thing we're just talking about. And what we do is we subject and we diminish God and lower him because we elevate the things that we love. Well, the Bible calls that idolatry. And it's our idolatry, our idolatry that gets in the way of our understanding of who God is. So let's investigate this further by addressing some more abuses of the word love in our culture. So sadly, when we, when we use the word love, we, we generally mean people and things that please us. When we use the word love, what we usually mean is people and things that serve us and please us. I love that. I love this. I love that. So when you say, I love this song, Or I love this ice cream. It's figurative language. It's figurative language. It's not, it's not meant to be literal. It's not meant to be romantic. You know, when I say I love this ice cream, I'm not saying that I'm actually in love, it, in love with it. Right? But, we, but that's one simple way in which we abuse the word love. We throw it around like it's a worthless piece of trash. We misuse it all the time, like it doesn't mean anything. You know, when I was a kid, I used to watch, I don't know, some of y'all are old enough for this. I used to watch Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee's Playhouse. You, watch, you ever watch this? Love me some Pee-wee's Playhouse. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is still on my, is on my top ten movie list. And I'll show you how weird I am. It was a weird show. If I watch it, like, I watch it now. Like with, with my kids, it's not for them. It doesn't work. 
You know, they don't, they don't get it. You had to live through it, I guess. But when I was a kid, I used to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse. And there was, a, there was a trope, there was a thing that they used to do on that show where if someone said, I love, I love ice cream, everybody would respond and yell, then why don't you marry it? Hilarious, right? <laughs> it I mean, it was the six-year-old version of me. I thought it was super funny. So there's an episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse where Pee-wee says that he loves fruit salad. And everybody responds, well, why don't you marry it? And then the remainder of the show is about Pee-wee marrying the fruit salad. It's troubling. Like every, everybody's like, that's so weird. It is weird. But, but what I want to point out to you is that we live in a world that's not far off from this. As crazy as all that Pee-wee business is, we live in a world that's not that far off from this way of thinking. That's where the level of insanity is. Where our conception of love gives us license to behave however we want. And so we want a God who ratifies our sin. So we say God is love. And we throw that around and we use it to substantiate whatever we call love. And if, God forbid, you don't concede to what someone else calls love, well, you're a bigot. And you're a terrible person. And so now we, don't, we, can't, we can't just worship our love. i got to worship Lee's love too. Now I, gotta, now I have to bow to what everybody, everybody else finds love in. It's just so, far, the pro, this is the issue. We don't understand love. That's the root issue of this problem. We don't understand it. And so I say all that to say that God teaches us what love is, and we don't have to be confused. Now this book, this, this, this letter was written in the first century to Greeks. Okay, Greek was the language of Corinth in the first century. And in the Greek language, language they, would have, they would use four different words for Love. They had four different words that they used for love. All right? So we're going to walk through these real quick. You know you're going get to get teaching, too. I'm teaching Greek today. I'm your Greek, Greek teacher. So the first one is this, storge. The word storge, they would use this in order to explain affectionate, affectionate or tender love like you have in a family. Storge was a type of love that you have between brothers and sisters and mommies and daddies in a family context. And so... They would use this word, and they understood, because they had more words than we use for love, right? We basically, you know, we abuse the word love, but, but, but we just have this one word, and it's not very ex explicit. So we can see it used, this word used in, in, a, in a compound form in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and, and it's translated kindly affectionate in our King James. Kindly affectioned, all right? That's storge. To be kindly affectionate towards one another. Hopefully you have that in your families. Now there's another word that was used in the Greek. It was eros. Eros was a romantic love. Sexual love. This Greek, this, this Greek word isn't really found in the New Testament. But the concept is. And we, we see the concept all throughout scripture. Right? right? So eros was a type of romantic love. Three. Ph uh, philia was brotherly love. This is a deep friendship. So when someone would use the word philia. They would be referring to. To brotherly love is the type of love that I have for Nick and Uriah and, and for Lee. Brotherly love, right? Brothers in arms. We care for each other. Fight for each other. 
Now, the word that we're going to focus on today is agape, and you guys have probably heard that word before. This is the Greek word used in the passage we're studying, and it's the highest and purest form of love, agape love. And this kind of love has nothing to do with emotions or feelings, which is where, this is where conceptually the break takes place. It's a line of differentiation, right? Okay? Is that this doesn't have to do with feelings or emotions, though it may produce feelings and emotions. I had feelings and emotions in agape love this morning during, during worship. I was moved. But agape love is not, is not contingent on what, what I feel. It transcends that. Agape love is about attributing transcendent value to someone else. Transcendent value meaning you place it above so that everything else is below. In other words, it's a form of love that is uniquely Christian. It's a uniquely Christian type of love. And Christ himself taught the following thing. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, do we this morning? Do we love Jesus Christ with, with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul? Do we love him that way? Because here's the deal. We can't begin talking about charity unless we first figure that out. There's no love in other people unless you first love Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ should be our first love. And it goes on, it says, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. As thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So to love someone with an agape love is to esteem a person as equal or greater than you esteem yourself. Equal or greater to how you esteem yourself. Now, we, all, we love ourselves. You know, we love us some us, don't we? And so the idea of agape love is that we elevate our care for other people, our passion for other people, to the same level that we care for ourselves. And even greater than that, that we even are willing to sacrifice ourselves for them and prefer them over ourselves. This is agape love. Now, here in 1 Corinthians, this word agape is accurately translated because the King James is accurate in every regard. It's translated as charity. It's, it's translated as charity. And this is a word that we don't use well today. This isn't a common part of our language, at least not the way it's used here in the passage. It's a highly descriptive word for love. And in our contemporary English, we sadly only seem to use this word in a very narrow sense to describe when we give to organizations, give donations for a social cause. That's charity. We give charity. You know, we take pity on something, you know, and we go in front of Walmart and we put the pennies in the bucket, right? And we some sort, see some sort of cause on TV and it's like, text 4576 if you want to give five bucks to help, you know, the soulless animals that don't have a home, you know? They play the Sarah McLaughlin song. And you're supposed to cry about it, and you're supposed to give them five bucks. And that's charity. That's, that's, that's the extent of charity in our world today. But the term charity means so much more than that. 
The word charity is an incredibly important word for love, and the definition is as follows. It's a love that gives without expecting to receive. It's a love that gives without expecting to receive anything in return. Now, hold on a second. Do we love that way? I mean, okay, let's pause. For those of us who are married, in our spousal relationships, do you honestly love your wife or your husband to the point where when you do something for them, it's truly selfless? Or are you looking for a turnaround? Are you looking for something in return? Is your love contingent on whether or not you get what you expect out of the relationship? That's the way, that's the, way the world looks at love. It's, tra- it's transactionary. I give you this, you give me something in return. You don't give me that thing in return, I don't love you back. The love ceases. Now, God loves you with an agape love. It's the most perfect exemplar of agape love, of charity. He gave his only son to die for us because he believed that we were of equal value to his son. Like that, That's a theologically accurate statement I just made. I mean, it might sound shocking. But God loved you so much, he loved you as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 9 says this, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him, and herein is love. Not that we, that we loved God, but he, that he loved us and sent us his son to be the true propitiation for our sins. He sacrificed his own son so that you could live. He, 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 he led his son to death so that you could have life. That's because he regards you with a greater love than you could ever understand. So in Christ, we have the perfect example of charitable love. And here's the other thing that we need to understand. Is charity, it can't be faked. It can't be faked. There's a lot of Christians faking charity. And on the surface, it would seem like it's easy to do. Right? You take pictures on Facebook, on Instagram. These are the people I love. Look at us loving each other. Okay? All that can be faked for sure. No doubt. I come and I serve, and look at me serving. Look at me doing things. Okay. That kind of love, it can, at some level it can be faked. But here's the deal. Love can't really be faked. Because it happens inside of you. And in time, through time, people's lives are revealed. People's words and actions, they, 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 they get exposed over time. And so any kind of fake love over time, it gets found out, no doubt about it. People are going to find out. The Bible tells us that there are two things that should never be disingenuous, ever. Faith and love. Faith and love both require spirit-led sincerity. Let's look at a few verses. Okay, look at what the Bible says about faith. 1 Timothy 1.5. Now the end of the commandment is charity 
out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That word unfeigned means faked. Okay, that, that, that word means to fake something. And so the command here is to not fake your faith. Now, listen, can you fake faith? How do you fake faith? I mean, you could fake it to us, again, for a short period of time before you get found out. You could fake it. But you know who you're not faking that with ever? God. <laughs> He's up there shaking his head, rolling his eyes. I look at you faking like you believe. You don't believe me for this for one second. He knows. You can't, you can't fake faith. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 1, 1, 5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which, which dwelt, uh, dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. So in other words, he's saying, look, I, rem- I remember your faith from your childhood, and I know it's not fake. It's unfeigned. We can't fake our faith, but we also can't fake our love. 2 Corinthians 6.6 says, By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. So list all these things that we ought to be. And then he, he takes a moment here. Paul says, look, and by love, it's not just love, it's love that's not faked. Love that's not faked. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's the, that's the definition of real love. It's a pure heart fervent for, towards one another. Unfaked. Fervent. So faith and love must be genuine if they're going to produce any spiritual life whatsoever. So here's a key question for you if you're writing stuff down. I don't know what you guys do around here. If you're writing stuff down, here's a question for you. What good are my spiritual gifts if I don't have charitable love? What good is my life? What good is my Christianity to the missions? What good is my ministry if I don't have charitable love? And what we're going to consider here in, in, in chapter 13 is that spiritual gifting must be charitable or selfless or it becomes completely useless. So look at, let's look at verse 1 again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So, so it's, not, you know, it's not uncommon in charismatic circles for this statement to be used as evidence that Paul spoke in, in an angelic language. Right? They'll, they'll use this passage and see, they'll say, hey, look, even the Apostle Paul spoke, spoke in tongues. He spoke in the angelic language. But, but there are two reasons why that's nonsense. The first one is this. All biblical evidence points to the fact that angels spoke in the languages of men. So every time in the Bible that an angel talks, who are they talking like? Us. There's no angelic language in the Bible. It doesn't even, it's not even there. There's no evidence that there's such a thing exists. There is not a single instance in Scripture where an angel speaks in a mysterious and unintelligible celestial language. It never happens. So that's your first reason. The second one is this. When Paul says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, it's a hypothetical rhetorical statement. 
It's a purposeful exaggeration. He's exaggerating, which Paul was not afraid to do. But, you know, whenever Paul exaggerates, it seems like it's an opportunity for Christians to abuse what he says. But he's, he's exaggerating here. Let me give you an example. Okay, here's the example that I use. My wife's name is Eva. Okay? I love her. I'd do anything for Eva. Love her. And if I said, though I crossed the desert for our love, on my hands and knees, I couldn't love her any more than I love her right now. Even if I could cross the desert without any water on my knees. Okay. Have I ever crossed the desert on my knees for, my, for the love of my wife? I mean, just take a guess. I haven't. I wouldn't have lived. Look at me. I wouldn't have made it. Okay? I've never done that. Now, people talk like that, don't they? They sing songs like that. They talk that way. And when they do that, it's a language that's intentionally exaggerated. And that's what Paul's doing here. That's what Paul's doing here. Okay, the proof is that he continues to use this language in verses 2 and 3. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. Did Paul ever remove a mountain? I mean, if we're going to use this logic, right? If he's talking about angelic languages, certainly he spoke in tongues, right? Okay, if we're using that kind of logic, we come to this verse where he says, Though I have all faith that I can remove mountains. Did Paul, do we ever remember Paul removing a mountain? Or in verse 3, though I give my body to be burned. Did Paul ever give his body to be, be, be burned? That's, we, don't, we don't see that. So the point is, is that he's using this language in order to purposely exaggerate. So let's take care of that. I wanted to clean that up. Because this is not evidence that Paul spoke in tongues. And, you know, not, definitely not the way we think of tongues today. Because that's gibberish. It's not, you know, I don't even know what that is. So what we must concede from the outset is that Paul is not using a claim to speak in an angelic tongue. He's using exaggerated uh, emphasis to bring significance to the power of love. So what he's actually saying is this. This is, this is the Brandon interpretation. Okay? So it says this. Though I be so fluent in tongues, and that means the speaking of other languages, right? Spanish, Aramaic, whatever the la language is. Though I be so fluent in tongues that I could speak every conceivable foreign language that exists. Okay, it's exaggerated. If, if I could speak in every conceivable language, even if there was a, an angelic language, if I could speak in that language and yet have not charity, then I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's vanity. It's vanity. Okay, we're getting somewhere, so hang with me here. You're like, good teaching, but get to the point. All right, well, here's the deal. In pagan worship, it was, it was common for there to be a call of worship. I don't know if it, you've, any of you have ever been to uh, a, an Arabic-speaking country where Islam is the predominant uh, religion. If, I don't know if you have or not. But in these cities, multiple times a day, there'll be a call to worship. Maybe you've seen it in a movie or something. And you hear they'll come over the intercom, and they'll start chanting out and call people to worship. Well, there was something really similar in the pagan culture of 1 Corinthians. Okay, in the city of Corinth, there were, there were pagan temples everywhere. It was a city known for false worship. And so all over the city, there were these temples. And throughout the day, there would be people that would be calling people to worship in the temples, in the false temples. And they would have tinkling cymbals. Ting, 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 ting. And they would have a sounding brass, which was basically a, a large bronze bell. 
that they would use as a gong, and they'd hit it, and it would gong, and it would sound out into the city. And so these things would have been common sounds in a city like Corinth. They would have heard these things on a daily basis being amplified throughout the streets. So, so the point is that though these things are loud, and, and, so, and, and, and though they're ubiquitous, they're all the time. You're hearing them constantly. They blend into the environment. They're meaningless. Those sounds, those calls to worship in Corinth, they were meaningless because they communicated nothing. They, they're just noise. It's just, it's just sounds being made. And they mean nothing. Not only are they not music, not only are they not set to, 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 to any sort of, sort of wall of, of chord progression and keys, and it's just sounds. Not only that, but on the other side of those sounds were just false gods with no power. It was vanity. So now you can put the point together. This is what Paul's trying to say, and here's your key point. If you're writing stuff down, here's the first key point for today. Charity gives purpose or meaning to our spiritual gifts. And particularly, listen to me, particularly those gifts of communication. See, some of us, some of us have the gift of gab. Any people like that in your congregation? I mean, I know your pastor's got it. And he likes to talk. Huh? Good thing he does, because he he's got to do a lot of it. But some of you guys have the gift of gab. You like to talk. You like to speak up. The ability to communicate God's word and, and communicate it clearly is a wonderful thing. And I hope a lot of people in your congregation have those gifts, those speaking gifts. Because in order to get things done, you need people who are going to be willing to speak up and preach God's word. So I hope those gifts exist in this body. I believe that they do. It's a wonderful thing. But listen to me. Without, without love, without God's heart, all our words will be found wanting. Everything we have to say, all that talking that we like to do, all that blah, 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 it's like a tinkling cymbal. It's like a sounding brass. It's empty. It's worthless. And too many of us, too many of us speak empty words. Too many of us are speaking and talking and saying things that we think are important. But the point here is that without charity and love for other people, for the love for, for God's word, Love, love for the souls of men and women. All that talk, it's empty. It's worthless. We waste a lot of time talking because there's no charity behind it. There's no love behind it. There's no care. There's no desire to esteem people greater than ourselves. In fact, most of us speak and talk because we like to hear ourselves speak and talk. That's how, we, that's how we find love, is by forcing our words on other people. It affirms us. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And the, the truth is, man, there are no words worth speaking if they're not done in love towards the brethren. If it doesn't achieve love towards others, what, what good are the words? There's, they're like a tinkling cymbal or a sounding brass. He goes on here in verse 2 and he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith 
so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What's Paul saying? In verse 2, the emphasis is not on what we say, but what we know. The things we know up here. The gift of prophecy being the ability to declare truth. Right? We still have a prophetic gift today. Now, it's, there's no foretelling of the future like there was in the first century church. But every time your pastor steps into this pulpit, he's prophesying. He's preaching. He's making a declaration. The word prophecy means to declare. And so we know, we know that that gift has ceased. But, but there are people that, are still, that still have the responsibility to preach. He mentions understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, meaning having an intellectual grasp of truths. I know that in here we got a few of you that are taking LFBI classes. Some of you are in, in, in discipleship, and you're getting trained in discipleship, and you're learning things. And the knowledge of God's Word is increasing in your mind. And you have the ability to speak the mysteries of God's Word. And you're growing in your knowledge and your, your understanding of God's Word. And you're getting a grasp of things that were once hidden from you. And he says in all faith, meaning the gift of being able to believe God for all things all the time. Now Paul is saying that even if, if, if I was endowed with all this intellectual power and faith for the impossible, but I don't have love in my heart for God and his people, then all of it is vain. All of it is empty. Key point. Charity gives power. Charity gives power to our spiritual gifts. It gives power. Because at the end of the day, intelligence and faith are the power of the believer. Knowing God's word and being able to speak and teach about it and declare it and have faith in it, that's the power of the believer. That's everything that we got. And I pray that all of you are growing in God's word and believing it more and more every single day. But listen to me. If it's empty of love, it's a powerless gifting. So the more you grow, so you sign up for discipleship because there's pressure to do it. You know, there's, the, the more the church grows and the more people get discipled in this church, there'll be a pressure for people to get discipled, you know. And they'll be like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. If I go to Greater Hope, I'm supposed to get disciples. And they'll go, and they'll sit down, and they're going to learn things about God's Word, and they're going to continue to learn. But the point is, is that as they continue to grow in knowledge, it's only just knowledge. It's only just words, unless there's love behind it. Lee can stand up here every week and preach the gospel over and over and over again. But if he doesn't have love towards you, God is never going to use any of those words to get anywhere past those doors. There are dead churches all over the South, are there not? And they're full of pulpits with, with, with men that know a lot of information. They got a lot of things to say. But because there isn't love for souls, there's no power that breaks through the doors, that goes out into the streets. Their communities aren't changing. They're just amassing congregants to fill the pews and to fill the plates. It's a shame. How did that happen? The lack of love. A failure to love. A failure to love people the way that God loves them. All these gifts, understanding, knowledge, and faith, these are wonderful. They're powerful gifts. They're biblical gifts. But while they're wonderful gifts, without love, without God's heart, all of our strengths and all of our smarts, some of us fancy ourselves real smart, they're useless. It's useless. 
Okay, what about this third point? Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So what's Paul saying? In verse 3, the emphasis is on all the wonderful things that we might sacrifice along the way in investing in the work. Have you all made sacrifices for this, this ministry? I mean, I see some of the sacrifices up here. Okay, listen. What he's saying is giving money, giving resources, feeding the poor, good things. You know what else is good? Giving my body. Martyrdom. Giving my own life. The things that I can give. I, I can give my money. I can give my resources. I can give my time. I can give my energy. I can give my strengths. I can even give my life. I can even sacrifice my life for what I believe in. I can, I can, I can die the martyr's death. They ask me to, to, to denounce Christ. I won't do it. Take my head. Burn my body. Do as you please. Even if I gave everything I own for the sake of the kingdom, including my life, but I don't have love in my heart for God and his people, then all of it is vain. All of it is empty. All of it is worthless. Key point. Charity gives profit to our spiritual gifts. It makes it profitable. Oh, you think because you gave. Because offering plate, when I gave, that somehow there's profit in that. Or, or just because I gave my time or my energy, that somehow they're supposed, they're supposed to be profitable, right? Right? That's the promise of Scripture is that if I do these things, that God is going to pat me on the head and it will be worth something. And Pastor Lee will see it and he'll think good of me and, it'll, and we'll have gotten something done. But listen to me. Church, If it's not done in love for souls, if every time that plate goes around, if you put something inside that plate and you're not thinking, God, use this to save the souls of men. If that's not the thought, you've just wasted your money. Now, Lee won't, but you, in terms of in terms of the way that God sees you and perceives the way that you do and think, you have just made that unprofitable for you. You understand what I'm saying? There has to be love. You know, we learn from King Saul's mistakes of 1 Samuel 15 that, we, that if we sacrifice without obedience, that it's nothing, right? God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. But, but here we're learning this, that sacrifice without love is nothing. We know that giving resources to feed the poor is exceptional. It has a lot, a lot of great value. It does good things in the world. We know that for a believer to give their life, it's an amazing gift. It's, it's, there's no greater thing that you could give. But Paul's saying that even among the most wonderful and selfless acts and contributions to the mission, that without love, without God's heart, all of our investment will be ineffectual. Without value for others, our ministry has no value. So here's the question, and we'll leave it with this. What motivates your ministry? What motivates what you do for the Lord? You know, sadly, people 
They could be disingenuous in their love. They could be disingenuous in their life towards their family, towards their spouses, and they can be disingenuous in their ministry. And a lot of times our love revolves around around what we get in return. It's selfish. And we can do ministry day after day for all the wrong reasons. We can do it to be seen. We We can do it. We can do it in order to make ourselves feel better. We could do it because, you know, that's what all the good Christians do. But how do we get beyond that? What if I don't know how to love? What if I don't know how to love? What if I grew up in a household where there was no love to be found? What if I grew up in, my ho- in a household where, where my dad beat me? And I learned love that way. I grew up being mistreated. Or I have broken relationships all throughout my life. I don't know how to love. I don't, I don't know where to begin. Well, the Bible tells us that we need to begin by adjusting our perceptions of love. 1 John 3.16 says this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. You have, a lo- you have a love perception problem? Well, hereby we perceive the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He laid his life down for you. So in return, because of that love, because of that love bestowed upon us, we lay our lives down for the brethren. Are you willing to die for the people in this room today? Because you love them. Because you care for them. Because they're so important to you. Or when they call you and you see their phone number on your phone, you roll your eyes because you just can't talk to so-and-so today. It's just too much. I'm tired of, I'm tired of church. We got to go to church again tonight? Okay, let's get in the car. Let's go. We got to change our perception because Christ laid down his life. Everything else, every bit of love that we pour out for other people, it's only just reasonable. It's just reasonable. John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, I don't know much about you all. You know, I just met most of you. I can't, I can't make an assessment. But I'll say this, because this is true for every church that's ever existed. You don't love to uh, learn to, to prefer one another over yourself. This will be the extent of greater hopes, advancement of the mission in this world. It'll stop right here. If you want to see God really use this church, then begin by laying your life down for one another in love because you care for what God cares for. Forgive each other treat each other wrong. You're going to do that. You're going to treat each other wrong. Family forgives. When someone abuses you, can you prefer them knowing that they're weak? When people treat you poorly, can you honestly say, I love you and forgive you? 
That's a big deal. And it affects everything that you do. And so I pray that, uh, that love will be true in this congregation. So with that, I'll turn it over to, to Pastor Lee. So I, I guess one of the biggest, um, I guess one of the biggest things about my, about my journey and, and walking with Christ over the last, I don't know, 24 to 41 now, it's, especially, you know, running into these guys at, you know, Living Faith Group and, and Mark especially, is that I was challenged to unlearn as much as I learned. Like I spent a long time unlearning. And I, I would dare say I'm still spending a lot of time unlearning what, what I learned. And, and that's not just from a theological standpoint or in uh, how we do ministry, although those are things uh, that I've had to unlearn. But I, I, I had to unlearn a lot of what I was taught as a, as a child about everything. As a kid growing up in a broken home, you you develop your own definition of love based on the home life that you were given. I I was I I had a real I had a real uh, a real sense of, of fear in my life that that every person that ever walked in my life at some point was going to walk out uh, because every every male every single male in my life has always dipped out. Every single one of them. Uh, my, my granddaddy, by no fault of his own, uh, 13 years old, finally gives up after five years of battling cancer. And, and, and look, I don't hold that against him, but, but, but that he left this world. That was, my, that was who God gave me to father me for the 13 years that, that, I was, that he was in my life. And uh, My father-in-law, same deal. God gave me him when I was 18 years old. I didn't know how big a deal he was really going to be. But, man, it gave me that dude to, to really uh, to father me in a way that only, that only he could. Same deal. Leaves this world. Massive heart attack. Uh, you know, march right up the road. I felt like God gave me another man in my life. Like, one leaves the scene, and a few years later, another one comes on. And, and I'll say this. Um, you, you, have to, you have to unlearn as a child what what a certain definition of love could have been defined in, in, in your life my family is known for for holding grudges uh, for, for hating on each other for years on end for being just to see who could be the meanest like they pride themselves in trying to figure out who can be the meanest of the group you say, well, that, that don't sound, it's not right. <laughs> I'm not bragging on it. I'm saying that's where we come from. And I, I, Brother Sean could probably stand up and testify for, for 20 minutes. The time he walked in these doors nine years ago to right now, he would tell you the one thing he learned how to do in nine years was he learned what real love was. And he what learned what loving people nine years ago how to start loving people. One of the things that's grown in his heart over the that I've seen grow in his heart of life is, is love. And you know what? You know who? You know who? You know who got? And I'm. We're not here to puff him up. We we do a whole lot 
we do a whole lot of talking and he don't need he don't he don't need that but I will say this there's something to this whole stick to itness and love thing the people that stick around the longest are the ones that love the most the people that aren't pulled out with with some little stupid thing that happens in church they're not pulled out with the big things that happen why well because their love drives them they figured out what love was about they figured out that you know, just because the waves hit the side of the ship and looked like it was fixing to turn over it ain't time to bail the ship it ain't time to bail out on the church it's a time to dig in it's a time to love people like we never loved them before it's a time to love each other like we never loved each other before it's a time to figure out that we're real brothers and we're real sisters in a thing together maybe we maybe we we're, we're going to have a little small invitation right here. Maybe maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to get our perception honed in on, on deciding that we got to unlearn what love is. And some of you got some jacked up dads. God love you. Just like mine. Jacked up. And you all know that, that, that your definition of love was probably honed in and, and drilled in with it from your father. Father had a real big deal with how you perceive your love. And your father had a real big deal with how you perceive your heavenly father's love. Maybe we need to unlearn some things. I'm gonna pray for you. And, and look, may, maybe you wanna maybe you wanna grab a, a, another brother. Maybe you wanna grab another sister. And maybe you yourself, you, need, you wanna get in these altars. You wanna you want to do what you need this is just a time of invitation you can do everything you need to do right there in your pew but you know how we are around here if you want to come you can come I'm going to pray Daniel's going to Daniel's going to sing a, a verse or and a chorus maybe invitation and this is just a time if you're in here and you're lost you need to be saved you're, you've never tr you've never came to faith in Christ like real faith you those songs that we sang earlier and that you've seen all the tears and you've seen the people that were just joyous within their heart, that that was true in their life, that's not really a thing in your life. Why don't you make that real this morning? Why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ? Why don't you give everything and just say, I'm done. I'm coming to trust Jesus as my Savior. Why don't you do that this morning? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you. And Lord, I, I want to thank you for what we heard this morning. Thank you for allowing us uh, to be able to, to experience what we did. And, and thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Lord, thank you for, Lord, the unadulterated Word of God being preached and us being able to see God. Lord, there's some things that we need to, we need to unlearn so that you can build within us a right definition of, our, of what you've given us in a biblical love. Lord, I pray that you bless our time of invitation for every person in here that has been raised in such a way to where they their, their definition of love has been severely altered. They love when people love them, but, but if people don't love them, they, they don't know how to love. They don't love because they're scared if they do love, they're going to get hurt. They're, they're afraid if they show any kind of love, they show any kind of emotion, that they're going to be done wrong and they're, they're going to be mistreated. So, so they stay at arm's length away and, and they keep themselves unspotted. 
uh, from ever having a tie to be able to be hurt uh, through what we know love is. God, I pray that you help us throw all that caution to the wind. I pray, God, that you help us throw all that, all those notions that the world would, would give us, throw it in the trash, and, and Lord, just, just completely decide we're going to love people no matter what they do to us, no matter how they treat us. Lord, no, no, matter, no matter the good, no matter the bad, we're going to love people because you love us and you've commanded us to love one another. So, God, I, I pray that we can do that because you're worthy. You're worthy for us to do the things that you've commanded us to do without question, without wondering what we're going to get in exchange, without wondering if so-and-so is going to love us back. God, I, I, I pray that you help us see what you've called us to do in this church. Lord, use this time of invitation for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You need to come. Let's stand. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to come. Grab somebody, maybe maybe a husband and wife want to come. What whatever needs to happen, you you do you do what you need to do with the Lord this morning. Amen. You you may come. How great this love! Oh, is moving on my mountain. It's love that's casting out my. Oh, it welcomes me like family anywhere I go. It meets me there. Cause he is good and he is God. What I earn is not what I
Amen. Well, what a great job. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah. I, man, just good. Thank, thank the Lord for this morning. All right. Uh, well, I, I hope you had a good morning. And uh, don't, don't forget, we're going to carry over to tonight in Cartersville. Uh, you say, man, that's like too far away. Just, just give it a shot. Uh, Sunday night may be your only shot to give it. I think Troy's preaching tonight, right? Troy Stogsdale's preaching tonight. Uh, he's he's the guy that I was uh, in New Philly, Ohio, with a couple of weeks, three or four weeks ago, and so he'll be preaching uh, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, uh, and Wednesday night there. So, but man, if you if you could just take some time, get get there tonight, and then. If you can make it to another one, if you can make it in the morning, I promise you the morning sessions are going to be great too. Brandon will be doing the morning sessions, and um, and he's going to be doing some leadership principles out of 1 Samuel. And so we're, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really, really great time. So make sure, if you can be there, uh, and yet you, I know a lot of us got work and stuff like that going on, but if you can and, and you're around, I promise you you'll be super encouraged by being there. All right? Um. Bill, won't you pray and uh, and ask the Lord to bless what was said and done this morning, and uh, make sure you make sure you make our guests feel welcome, and um, and we'll we'll see some of you tonight.